Hey folks, and tonight's episode is brought to you by YesPleaseVintage.com. If you're in the States and a fan of vintage and upcycled housewares and clothing, give YesPleaseVintage.com a check for clothing, jewelry, homeware, and some really awesome finds. So go check them out now at YesPleaseVintage.com. And currently, if you spend over $60, you get free shipping on all orders. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones. Joining me, of course, is the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hi there, everybody. On tonight's episode, we look at 1990s um, action romance Hong Kong film from Benny Chan, A Moment of Romance, the first in the Moment of Romance trilogy, starring Angelo, Jacqueline Wu and Ning Man Tap. Um... But all that is to obviously come up a bit later. But Stephen, since the last episode, what has been holding your interest, if anything? Because it's been a bit of a weird dry spell for myself. Okay, so I've I've got a couple of things I'd like to talk about. So um, following up from last episode where I talked about uh, one of the films that I had looked at from the um, Edinburgh Taiwanese Film Festival. Yeah. Um, so I've done a couple of views which you can find up on in their own league.com but one of the things I didn't get around to reviewing was a short film that I um, saw um, so just 30 minutes long um, from again from Taiwan surprisingly for the name of that film festival um, called and I've got to get this right the biz, the busy young psychic and I always accidentally want to say the busty young psychic but <laughs> it's, it's done. <laughs> I don't know why Freudian slip, but there's there's no bustiness in it. It's just it's just a strange strange word. Um, so like I say, a little short film, but it's absolutely marvellous. Um, it's about a young girl who, as with all young Taiwanese students, you know, works hard, has um, you know, has has exams and has studies to do. She's um she's she loves baseball so she's got sort of that extracurricular activity of baseball as well however unlike all her contemporaries um she's also works at the local temple as as a psychic um as sort of people come to her and ask for advice and guidance and they sort of give money and other things to the temple in return for basically sort of good good luck um we'll have, we've seen it millions of times before in in sort of Asian culture and other films and TV that we've watched. The twist here is she's actually genuinely a psychic and she can actually see ghosts and um, this kind of impacts on her because although it's almost being run like a con, she's being absolutely legitimate about it. And <laughs> it's just a really nice... It, it, and, and and she falls in love with a boy, and she 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 wants to go to this boy's birthday party so she can give him a token of her love and hopefully fall in love and get married and all that kind of stuff. But she ends up having to work at the um, at the temple that night. And what we actually find out is that she what she learns is that regardless of whether ghosts are real or not, regardless of whether you think this is a bit of a scam that's being run. To, to get money off people who are suffering from grief and or, or, or want to cheat their way ahead of 
um, things by, by their money. Um, it actually provides a really valuable service for people in terms of giving them an opportunity to grieve or giving them an opportunity to to get their thoughts and feelings out there and the and the and, and the money and the the things that she makes them do the prayers and the and the donations that she makes them do is is irrelevant this is just an important part of taiwanese society and it's just it's just really lovely films really nicely made um and it's what and it starts out by saying this is based on a true story, Fargo style. Um, I said, obviously, it's not because there aren't such things as ghosts. But 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 you know what I mean. It's just, it's just really really charming. And always with short films, they can go sort of one of two ways. Either you think, yeah, thirty minutes is enough. My God, thank God they didn't go on longer. Or you think, oh, I wish this was expanded into a, into a full length feature film. Yeah, and this one, I'm just very happy. It was th- it was just a perfect thirty minutes. So much was covered. Um, the acting's lovely. Um, it, it's from a couple of years ago. It's not it's not like a, a 2020 film. It's from um, it's from three or four years ago. But yeah, really, really charming. Um, don't want to watch a full length version of it, but it's perfect as it is. So that's from the sort of the independent sublime to the big box office ridiculous. Because I saw Mulan, the new version of Mulan. <sighs> so you I don't know what you think that? of. I got access to a copy of it. Let's say no All more. All right. <laughs> um, I don't know what you think of Disney's Mulan. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Disney films. I'm not a huge fan of musicals or, or just that whole that whole Disney thing. Full stop. But Mulan itself is fine. Um, the 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 animated version um it's from that sort of disney renaissance you know sort of lion king age where disney went from the brink of bankruptcy to becoming a media mega organization um and yeah it's 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 a pretty good one and it's kind of interesting because it's from that phase where they were culturally appropriating all sorts of stories from all around the world now mulan itself the, the story itself is an old ancient Japanese, uh, not Japanese at all, Chinese um, no. <laughs> sort of uh, uh, poem um, story back, 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 back from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Um, and there have been hundreds of versions of it made in the Chinese speaking world. Um, I did a review recently of uh, Jingle Ma's um, 2008 version, The Rise of the Warrior. Starring Vicky Zhao, who we remember from Shaolin Soccer, um, very good, but very um, it's 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 a war film really, um, but you know it has the same story. Young girl takes her father's place in in a in an all male army and and succeeds and and wins the day. Um, whereas Mulan, the the the, the Disney take on it is. It's got like Eddie Murphy as a fun little dragon, hasn't it? And some songs, yeah. and it's all about being a girl and being, you know, being the best you can be. All the classic Disney stuff. Um, the the Jingle Bells version sort of takes it a little more straightforward and and basically says she's, you know, she's an incredibly capable woman. Um, the fact that she's a woman's almost irrelevant. Yes, there's some stuff around the gender that's a problem, but it's it's fairly realistic. And that's that's what most of the adaptations of the Mulan story are. Um, there are some which out there which which go a bit more fantastical, 
and you know as as we know a lot a lot of sort of chinese tv and cinema is based around fantastical versions of real historical events so i think that's what this 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 remake wanted to be um i mean again i'm not a big huge fan of disney but i'm a lesser fan of these modern remakes i, I just don't understand live action remakes that miss out the the fun of the uh, of the originals i hear stories that it's what walt would have wanted but i, I doubt it um and an idea of it of course was the lion king where they make an animated version of an animated film and again managed to miss you know, lots of stunt casting but managed to miss the miss the point so you know hopes weren't high when they said they were going to, from my point of view that they said they were going to remake it but yeah um it's really nice to look at it's really pretty um lots of pretty people really interesting um the, the, the visual effects and colors going on you know it looks almost as nice as hero yeah it's 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 a nice looking film the problem is it's shit and, and and I'm not going to go into everything that's wrong with it, but I'll start with the lead actress, uh, Crystal Liu, um, who was in um, a Forbidden Kingdom as, uh, as as the lead uh, female character in that. What was that? Uh, 2008, back in the day. Um, she she's she's a she's a fairly popular. So she, she they they call her Asian American. She, she she but she is she is. Chinese, but she has had some schooling in America, so she crosses the boundaries a bit. But she's been in a bunch of um, sort of big budget Chinese films over the years, like the series of the four films, which were like a sort of a Chinese historical X Men, um, and and a few others. Um, she's yeah, very attractively. I think she's thirty four years old, which to me is too old for Mulan to make any sense. Um, there's a whole thing where it talks about her family crest is a phoenix. Now, phoenix comes from Phoenician. It's a Greek myth. <laughs> it's not anything to do with China. There is a Chinese phoenix, but it doesn't sort of die in the flame and gets reborn again. Um, it's, it's a completely yeah. different thing. Um, and basically what it is is an exercise in Orientalism. So it has it may have a, it has a female director who's white. It has screenwriters who are white. It has it it just doesn't seem to have anybody involved in the creative process who knows what they're talking about, and it all feels a bit wrong. Everything you know, I know this is the professor and me coming out, but I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of other people, especially Chinese people, having to go at it. It just doesn't seem to have any understanding of its cultural existence whatsoever. Um, it's got a fantastic cast. Christian Liu's fine. She's got two emotions, smiling or grim. But um, it's also got Gong Li in it, um, you know, who's one of the great Chinese actresses of all time. Um, totally wasted in a role that's called a witch, which is something else that you don't have in China. But never mind. Um, it's got Donnie Yen in it, obviously, who must be on uh, on retainer with all Disney films at the moment. I think he was in um, Rogue One, wasn't he? Um, yes, he was in Rogue One. He was. Yeah. So, so you get Donnie Yen, and then you don't get him to do any martial arts. And Jet Li is the Emperor, who not only in the story does some really stupid things, but you wouldn't even recognise it was Jet Li. <laughs> <laughs> He's behind a, a, a big beard and makeup. And again, why? 
Um, so no, it's got three really big names in there, and Crystal Lear is 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 not a not not a minor star. But uh, any one of them could have popped up and and said, "Hang a bit, this is totally wrong." The biggest fault it has is that in all the other versions of Mulan, it's the character herself that succeeds through her own force of will, her own skill, her own ability to learn and change and grow. In this version of Mulan, she has chi, life force. Um, And apparently, in the world of Mulan, only boys are allowed to use their chi. And therefore her ability and and she doesn't hide it she's you know there's a there's a fun little scene early on which shows her using it and basically basically chi is life force and it's it's a tenant in 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 lots of wuxia films lots of martial arts films um but it, it also just in chinese medicine acupuncture is based on on the concept of chi it's nonsense to say that only men have it and it's nonsense to say that's what makes you able to do crazy wild magical things um and I can't believe Donnie Yen or Jet Li or Gong Li or someone didn't take the makers of the film to side and said, this is bullshit. Um, and not only that, it just becomes a special effects fest. So as, as an adaptation of the story of Mulan or even as an adaptation of the, the, the Disney version of Mulan, it's pants. It does look nice. And what I was thinking was, well, have they made this just to... Have Disney made this to to grab a Chinese audience and the feedback the, the, the knockback it's got from China it's done terribly in China which you know that, that's what most films big budget films these days have to make all their money there um, <clears throat> I'm pretty certain it's been edited to hell I'm pretty certain bits of it have been changed because obviously it went from being uh, a, a, a cinema feature release to being the poster child for the disney plus service so trying to get people to to sign well, up yeah, to they, go and they watch s- that to sign up to disney plus then you had to pay the premium on top of that so it, was, mm. it wasn't the case that they were giving it away with disney plus it was it was like oh you can get this disney plus but you have to like pay this premium fee to oh, rent a it. ridiculous price as well yes but you know to, to hide it away on disney plus was because a lot of people were really looking forward to people love disney films right and so they and they way overcharge for it, but clearly whole bits of it have been gutted. There, there, there's 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 clearly meant to be a love story in there somewhere that they've clearly gutted. Um, it's it just it just it just misses the mark in every style. And what I'm thinking about it harder is what they've tried to do is create one of those soulless modern Chinese big budget films like the four series like um the 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 recent monkey king films that are, are fantastic cgi and big stars but they're joyless commercial exercises that are just 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 lack the fun because you can't talk about ghosts you can't do certain things um you don't have anything that's vaguely homosexual in it even though you know the films that we we watched from the 80s and 90s are full of eunuchs and women dressing as men and things like that so it's it just misses the mark because it's an american version of what it thinks a big budget chinese film is and it, and it fails in every regard um is it is it terrible terrible is it no but is it a failure absolutely so yeah don't don't waste your money people going to get to watch that on disney plus 
be like me and find it somewhere else. <laughs> but it's been made it's made me very, very angry. And um I watched it two weeks ago and I'm still angry. So. <laughs> but wow. that's that's enough from me. That's 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 what I watched in the last week or two. Yeah, I mean certainly when it came to Mulan, I mean Mulan was always one of the lower tier projects for Disney. Um as the original film never really sort of had the same sort of lasting appeal of the likes, you know, like Aladdin and Little Mermaid and other properties that were released around that time. Um, and at the same time, it was still not as, as bad as, you know, like Sinbad and Treasure Planet. There was this weird little property that sort of um, kind of got forgotten, and I think that's what they were planning to... It was like part of a multi-tier plan, really. I mean, obviously, you've got the Chinese market that they're trying to peer to because, obviously, Chinese funding is basically funding everything in Hollywood at the moment. And you can see it throughout, just like the amount of films that are now suddenly set in China or they feature Chinese Chinese cast. Uh, when we like look at films such as like The Meg and uh, the number of changes that were obviously put into that to obviously keep um, Chinese investors happy. Um, it also doesn't help when your leading lady says uh, disparaging things in the media, um, saying that she supported the police. <laughs> Well, yeah, so that is one thing I'm going to give it a pass on. There's another bit which I won't give it a pass on. But, you know, what she did, she retweeted something which, in her ignorance, she thought was the right thing to do. We, we, It's easy for us about what was something that was going on in Hong Kong. So it's easy for us as, as liberal, modern Western people to criticise what people in China say, like normal people in China, which, which she is a normal person she's not a member of the political elite or anything like that and we just have to remember what they are fed from their own media, um, the pressures that they're under to conform with the state it's very hard to be controversial in, um, in China so I'll give her a pass for that what I won't give Disney a pass for is filming parts of the parts of it, the, the bits that they filmed in China. They filmed in the part of China where Uyghurs are being put into internment camps, and then thanking the Communist Party of China in the credits for saying, "Oh, thank you for letting us go to this part of the country <laughs> that you say you say doesn't exist and nothing bad happens." But yes, it's been a it's been a public relations disaster for them. Although I, again, I think what she said. I don't think she really understood what it was that she was doing, but there is, of course, um, plenty of people in China with access to VPN software who do <laughs> very loudly go on various forums and things and say things uh, anonymously or in, in things places where the, the government can't say see, and, and there's been a lot of pushback internally on what she did. But frankly, it was a retweet, and I don't know. I think I think we it's very easy to pass judgment. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait! We're under a totalitarian regime where all our thoughts are monitored and see how how easy it is for us to criticise. Certainly getting there. Certainly getting there at the moment. Um, but as, I mean, as a Disney, I mean, it's so hard to look at it not as just a. In the same way you look at Kiss now, it's just this corporation that's just designed to churn out money. They don't churn out original ideas. They just steal other people's properties. See, we look at them now, they bought, like, Fox, and they bought Star Wars, and they bought Marvel, all these little properties, and then they run them into the ground, so we just can't actually stand the stand them anymore. And recently, I mean, they've just announced, obviously, with The Mandalorian 2, they're doing a week-by-week a week week release, which basically means that if you were signing up just to watch The Mandalorian, they basically get you for two months 
because it's all about making the money. Whereas every other service would release it as a box set. Um, so it's very, very strange how they're sort of like choosing to buck the trend. But then again, you look at it from the prospect of Disney just like to make money, and it kind of makes a little, little more sense to uh, to you. So. As for myself, I'm just resisting getting Disney Plus until they put dinosaurs on. Then I watch that and then cancel it again. That's the only reason I would want to watch uh, <laughs> anything to do with Disney Plus. I yeah, I mean they killed uh, Dis- Disney's um, th- yeah, d- d- Disney owned too much, and I, you know whatever I might think of the people behind the scenes and and that you know the, the amount of streaming services that we're almost obliged to sign up for these days just to watch a tv show or to catch a film or you know in some cases like lucifer's on two different platforms for god's sake if you wanted to watch that um i i i, I can't believe that an american company like disney has not been put under some kind of antitrust investigation because the amount of properties that they own and yes <coughs> you know what I'm quite glad that George Lucas isn't charged for Star Wars anymore. <laughs> but, but yeah, has one. Disney really <laughs> yeah. done any better? We had they had one good film, which is basically a remake of New Hope, and then yep. they basically whiffed and waffed because of fanboy ramblings. Because apparently, angry nerd boys on the internet apparently control more in Hollywood than producers do. Um, and it's the opinion of some fat slob in his basement is um, apparently the reason why we can't have leading women saving the universe. So, um, yeah, it was... And now they're sort of like going, oh, because, you know, The Mandalorian came out and because... Um, what's, what's his name again? I can't remember his name. Um, John Favreau basically went off and made this, like, lone wolf and cub style star wars story they're like saying oh no we're just gonna we're gonna rewrite the whole of the, the franchise now and let Favreau do it and it's sort of like well before you thought jj abrams was doing a good job and then you know he dared to give you a female lead and it's suddenly all wrong now again so i just it's, it's like i said it's i think since Di- when disney get hold of properties is where my interest in properties die because it becomes too much of a, like a toxic fanboy atmosphere it's sort of like star wars i couldn't care less about now marvel movies i couldn't care less about now and especially after they became like a weekly release and now you've got like this bloody one division coming out and it's like you there seems to be like no consistency with any of it it's just about keep churning out properties keep churning stuff out so <sighs> yeah yeah, I, I, I mean, again, I'll, I'll take you back 15 years and, and things like the original Nick Fury movie and those Spider-Man movies and things. Like, I'm quite happy that someone's got there, <laughs> got, got a, quite a, a level of quality. Um, but yeah, it's just too much. And it's not really about the films, is it? Mm. It's about, you know, The Mandalorian. Is, is is it about watching The Mandalorian? Is it selling baby Yodas? And that's that's always <laughs> the problem with Disney. Um, is it, It's... You know, they, they they really nearly went bust until that 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 new Renaissance period in the was it the nineties, of which yeah, Mulan was, was right at the end of, of of that. It was it was one of the last couple of films that that, that is is part of that era. Um, like you say, Little Mermaid, Lion King, um, up up until sort of Mulan and Pocahontas really, and then and then they went shit again. <laughs> and, well, but now they just buy. 
they buy up everybody else's stuff. They, and... It's not so much the fact they also buy up everyone else's stuff. They're also censoring their own history. And you oh, compare absolutely, it to yeah. like other companies. Um, like, is it Warner Brothers who owns Tom and Jerry? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh... Yes, yes, yeah. it is Warner Brothers, yes. If you buy the Warner Brothers DVD, they've got like many of the old cartoons, and they actually have a little um, board at the start, the start of the DVD that says that, you know, everything's remaining intact because there's, you know, historical importance. The same way that you can still get Tintin in the Congo, despite that being horribly racist. Um, because it's historically important. And now the, like... Banning like Song of the South is never going to be released. They're also doing like Gone with the Wind is now banned. It's sort of like, well, got Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind just been. They just they are just gonna. They're putting a little prefix up on it, aren't they? Just saying, you know, you've got to see this in the context of the time. It's that, but but Song of the South, yeah, there is no that will never get released on Blu-ray or DVD or be on Disney Plus, and in a way too too right but it still exists it's still a thing and you if you don't learn you know it's the old story isn't it if you don't learn from history you're doomed to to repeat it and hiding it away and censoring your history is is a is a terrible thing that there's that there, there must be a way for them to make that film available and use it as a teaching exercise for themselves if nothing else (laughs) um then, then just pretend it doesn't exist. I mean, mm. you look at the state of the world and the fact that we're here censoring these things, yet at the same time we've got many of these things that never had a foothold suddenly getting a foothold again, like the clan and white supremacy. Mm. It's all these things that are suddenly coming back and we're at the same time saying, oh, we're censoring all these things, yet you've got only have to turn the news to see like the latest sort of uh, group of nut jobs having their sort of say and, and whatnot. And, and and by making a big deal about some of these things is it's feeding those nut jobs. It's feeding the white supremacists and it's you know, they're saying bloody social justice warriors or oh, censoring something really amazing like old Tom and Jerry cartoons, or oh, we must get all black people out of the country. You know, it's it, these facile arguments that come up and I just yeah, I th- I think you're right. It's really important to recognise the problems of the past. Mm. Other, otherwise, just hide, hide, hiding it like a black sheep of the family, if you excuse the phrase. I just realised yep. now I probably can't say black sheep anymore. But you, you know what I mean. It it absolutely exists and hiding it away, making it fresh. Because all that does is that it makes it a it makes it a lodestone for the wrong sort of people. I'm sure there's a Reddit group or a 4chan group that probably does a a minute by minute podcast on Song of the South. <laughs> probably. And <laughs> and that's not an idea anybody. <laughs> if, if, if it doesn't exist, but yeah, you you need to be open and honest about things, not hide them away. Well, obviously speaking of uh the history of our culture um it does actually bring me to something i have been sort of binge at the moment and that's Crunchyroll's first foray into podcasting with anime in america it's a uh, multi-part uh, series that you can get on all your usual podcasting platforms um and hosted by yodoe travis it's a eight episode uh multi sort of history of the history of anime it in America basically and it talks it breaks it down into really sort of digestible sort of chunks as it break as it um go it starts off with things such as, you know, like fan subbing and then conventions and um then how like 
animated sort of like has always been in the sort of background, especially when you look at uh, Saturday morning cartoons and you look at uh, company things such as like JC and the Wheeled Warriors, or you lose this um, seventy-seven. I want to say it's I know Stephen is more your era, but and uh, things like <laughs> Battle of the the Planets. Oh, like yeah, it was a bat- yeah, Battle of the Planets. Uh, probably more like the eighties, but it's probably it was probably a seventies. Um, it's um, oh, what's what is Battle of the Planets originally? Um, Gatchaman, isn't it? Oh yes, Gatchaman. Um, so yeah, it's probably a, it's probably a seventies seventies um, Japanese yep. anime repurposed for a Western audience in the I want to say the mid to late eighties. Yeah, and you obviously have uh, things such as you know, like Speed Racer, and then you had uh, more sort of obvious things such as uh, such as like um, uh, Robo Boy and um, Kim the White Lion that sort of filtered it into. And I think I remember like when you were watching these things as a kid that you remember the animation to them being so distinctive, but you never realised that you're watching anime. It's like when you watch Transformers the movie. And you watch it now, and it's like, God, that's such an anime style, and it's absolutely gorgeous as well. I was watching um, just randomly the opening part where you, the unicorn uh, devours that planet, and it's just so stunningly animated. Um, but maybe this is just because of the fact we now have everything done that sort of like cheap CGI style, uh, which is just horrible. Yeah, but... I mean, I guess I guess Transformers literally was a Japanese cartoon again, repurposed over in the states and in the West to have slightly different stories and <laughs> yeah and i mean you had things, things like, like um you had like uh you had series that were just in japan like transformers amada and they changed like some of the robots mm. around to like ultimus primes like a fire truck mm. um i think it i think grant i know one of the guys over at the blade looking fees was uh saying that they were watching like the old transformers movies i think it may have been the heat He's been saying, talking about those, and it's kind of inspired me to go into it because there's a whole bunch of um, stories involving Unicron uh, that pick up after the film, which I didn't realize. But I just thought Unicron was sort of like it's one shot character, but apparently he's got a whole like massive storyline that happened uh, in the series and that. So, but no, um, the series itself is really, really, really good. Even if you're not the biggest anime fan, it's just really interesting and from a cultural perspective. Even if it does seem, um, with Yodone Travis's sort of style, it seems like it's got a little bit of a like a irrelevant sort of slant. It's a little sort of um, free flow in places, which might not be you know for everyone's taste, especially if you prefer prefer things to have like a more sort of traditional flow to them. But it's a really interesting. It's got some interesting sort of like um elements to it and seeing how things such as like Kamen Rider came over here and became Power Rangers and uh the rise really as well of the the streaming platforms and, and taught me a lot of things I didn't realise, such as that Crunchyroll originally started off as a legal streaming platform and mm. slowly evolved into a legal streaming platform. Yeah, so. no, I it, yeah, I I remember it. It was yeah, very much uh it was the Napster of its day, <laughs> of, of of anime anyway. And uh, how they basically went around to studios and it's like, we want to legitimately show your product. <laughs> kind of uh, had to deal with the fact that companies were already angry at them for stealing their product originally. And I wanted to go and do it in a more legal sort of term. But 
It's a it's a really really great series, and I'm hoping. I mean, they obviously tease, and I'm not sure how serious they are. Is that they won't do like anime in anime in the UK as a follow up, which would be really great, because certainly how anime was perceived in the UK is just a really sort of fascinating subject, especially in terms of censorship. Uh, when we obviously had like the tabloids and uh, calling for them to ban the sick filth when we had like the original sort of titles coming over from manga and uh, entertainment and nobody sort of had any idea what these sort of like ultra-violent Japanese cartoons were all about and uh, I think it, the fact we were all calling it manga and were in the States they were calling it Japanimation it's just um, really sort of interesting to sort of go back and look at those sort of early days of anime in the UK I think it'd be really interesting to uh, see maybe they could get hold of Helen McCarthy because she's the person who I remember being on all those early sort of anime documentaries and and that um, often wearing the most like nicest woolen sweaters but talking about the most perverse anime it was such an interesting contrast uh, yeah, sorry I was uh, coughing and laughing there when you said that <laughs> um but yeah, um, it also has inspired my pick for the next episode, but I'm going to come to that a bit later. Um, keep, keep the suspense going. I'm keeping the suspense <laughs> going. Um, there's also a documentary floating around Vice. Um, have you seen that um, drumming apple cat video? Probably a no. There's a meme going around that says when you're overqualified uh, for for the job and it's um this apple cat right <laughs> okay well i would say that for next week <laughs> but basically this is i i need to i've closed the page down unfortunately but basically this um in japan different towns have their own mascot and oh um, yes yes i'm aware of that yeah yeah and uh basically this this drumming cat is uh the mascot of this this uh, town that produces large quantities of apples, and he's the spirit of a cat uh, reincarnated in an apple, and he drums. Yes, yes. There's lots of these. Anyone who's watched, um, who watches John Oliver's last week tonight, will be fully aware of all this because he's made up his own one. <laughs> Has he? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like John Oliver as a mascot. <laughs> I can't remember if it's called John Chan or something like that. But I'm pretty certain because that area of Japan where they are, I'm pretty certain I do know actually of the um, of the mascot itself. And there's 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 all sorts of exciting things. These mascots, like one mascot got banned and they replaced it with another mascot. And the the person playing the mascot, kept, the original mascot, kept on going with his YouTube videos of <laughs> mad violence in uh, it's a knockout style <laughs> lunacy. <laughs> and, uh, it's a and, and and some of them, some of those mascots make huge amounts of money for the area. You know, the really popular ones, they they become a, a yeah, because it's just a marketing scheme, isn't it, to yeah. get people to come and visit your area. And then some of them are, make more money for the area than whatever it is they were advertising in the first place. So yeah, I'm going to include that whole segment on next week's the next episode. Go for it, because um, I can tie it into our actual selection as well. So. Um, but yeah, if you haven't already checked out um, Anime in America, podcast sources now. I'm um, currently the only podcast that's been put out by Crunchyroll, but hopefully the start of uh, more podcasts from themselves. I would really like to see uh, some more more from from them. So I think without further ado, I think we 
should move on to tonight's feature presentation, which is A Moment of Romance. Okay, um, A Moment of Romance is a 1990 Hong Kong action romance film directed by Benny Chan, uh, as well as being produced by Johnny Toe and uh, Ringo Lam, which really should have given us a sort of hint of what was to come, because certainly when I was... uh, given this uh, selection by Stephen and going off the title alone, I thought, oh, great, we're going to be in for another two-hour romp like the classic, because Stephen does love his romantic melodramas, and certainly that's what came to mind when I saw the title of this one. Um, but the film itself stars Andy Lowe, Jacqueline Wu, and Ning Man Tat. Um, for his performance of the film, uh, Ning was also awarded the Best Supporting Actor at the 10th Hong Kong uh, Film Awards. But the film itself, it's a tells the story between a uh, underworld rag played by um, Andy Lowe and uh, Rich Harris who and the two are basically thrown together when um, Andy Lowe's character is basically hired to do be the getaway driver for a jewellery store robbery which uh, obviously goes south and uh, he takes uh, Jacqueline Wu's character as a hostage with the two be it through Stockholm Syndrome or whatever, suddenly find themselves romantically thrown together while at the same time um, he has to deal with a number of crises within the gang and uh, that are happening on the street level. But um, Stephen, very surprising pick from yourself. I know that you obviously picked it because of uh, the recent passing of Benny Chan. I did so it actually <clears throat> it actually sort of came out of of that so yeah but, but Benny Chan sort of a one of a he's not not probably one of the great directors of the sort of the modern Hong Kong scene but a, a voice who's made films which are very popular most popular is this film um, so like you say uh, but also the reason I also came to it was when we talked about um, Johnny Toe's election a few episodes ago. Um, I don't know, I can't remember if I made the point, but he basically makes these hardcore crime films and then kind of alternates it Mm. with romance films um, and comedies and rom-coms and things like that. Now, this is before he'd set up Milky Way, um, which which basically does that. But it it was interesting to see that even even in the early days, um, there is a, a... uh, the, the the romance angle is kind of in, important to him, but this film, um, I hadn't seen it before, but I was absolutely aware of it. It's it's from that sort of that, the beginning of the nineties when Hong Kong cinema got really kind of popular both locally and internationally. It's got scenes in this film are referenced in all kinds of other films during this period. Um, you've got Andy Lau who. Is one of the big four actors of the age, still going strong now. In fact, he's even directing films now. Um, Ung Tat, who we'll all know as Stephen Chow's mate in most of his really popular films of this time. Um, you've got 
Johnny, yeah, Johnny Tay got Ringo Lamb producing. You know, this this is this is fertile stuff. Other than Jacqueline Wu, who really, although she's had an interesting long career, um, most famous for basically the three Moment of Romance films, which although are all called a Moment of Romance, one, two, and three have nothing to do with each other. Other than she's in them as different people. In fact, one of them set in the Second World War. It's got, it's got. They have nothing to do with each other. But they're, you know, they're, they're just this, this one in particular. But all of them are just classics of the age. And I thought, well, you know what? We've looked at some other classics of the time. Um, Anna's a bit of a, you know, a, a, a bit of a tribute to Benny Chan as well. Let's let, let, let's bite the bullet and go and have a look at it. But I will warn you, I hadn't seen it before. Um, although I was, like I say, fully aware of it. Yeah, I mean, certainly this really sort of reeks of the that sort of classic era of Hong Kong cinema. I mean, everything looks and feels like a Sega Mega Drive game. There's plenty of synth pop and real sort of bold opening credits. There's a this lot of canto definitely. pop. <laughs> There's um, a lot of canto Combined pop. with, like, neon lights... <laughs> Um, frantic action sequences and r- real disregard for health and safety. <laughs> it's a lot of real classic tropes of uh, Hong Kong cinema that we see here, and I think that right from the start really appealed to me. And uh, it was kind of reassuring that you see it's produced by both Ringo Lam and um... why can I not remember his name now? And uh, yeah, Ringo Lang and Johnny, Johnny Toe. I mean, obviously that's a real sort of mark of quality right there. I mean, even with Benny Chan also in the director's seat. I mean, Benny Chan's probably best known, I would say, for his sort of like later films that he mainly did with like Jackie Chan doing things like What Would Be Heard and Who Am I. Uh, New Police Story, Gen X Cops, New which Police I know Story, Kim over she... Movies and T is a big fan of, so... He's definitely made some interesting films over the course of his career, so I wouldn't so sort of like completely disregard him as a an unimportant director. I mean, no, he he's he's just not as prolific no. as his contemporaries. You know, he's he's a one a year man. Although looking at his filmography, he was a bit busy in nineteen ninety five. But on the whole, he's he's um he make he makes a film a year. Um, Unlike you know, we look some of the other people that we look at around this time who are churning out three or four maybe, or working concurrently on multiple films. But yeah, he's he's important, but he's he's his. It's going to be a few years after Moment of Romance. It's going to be a few years before he you know he he has that um, <clears throat> a run of success really because um, even Moment of Romance two wasn't terribly well received yeah um so opening as it does i mean we'll see right from the start we're just it's sort of as again this is just really plays up to the era of filmmaking in hong kong i mean we're open with like just roaring motorcycles we've got andy Lowe um playing here playing wadi who's basically he's a tribe member and he's a bike and he's he's sort of like um Unhonorable triad. So, and I have to say that this has to be like one of the most nicest group of triads I've ever seen in a, in you know in a, one of these movies. His his actual gang his actual ganger, aren't so, they? <laughs> They're um yeah, <laughs> unless you're yes. a police speed camera. So yeah, we have this like a Kira style <laughs> opening bike chase through. 
um, out in, out in the sort of country where we're supposed to believe that Andy Lloyd's uh, riding this motorcycle, but it, it very clearly seems that it seems that he's not actually riding anything. If anything, I think he's on the back of a truck um, riding this, and someone else is doing. That there is very little. Then on his little clothes, there's very little sense of speed. You compare it to the scenes there? where it's <laughs> he's not riding it, and the the uh, whoever they got to the stunt riding there's like popping wheelies and doing donuts and as you said, trashing speed cameras with a, a flashlight. It's all really cool stuff. And it kind of made me think of, in many ways, the Luke Besson movie Taxi. Especially when we get to the uh, this random party mm-hmm. that's happening. I couldn't tell if it's a trial party or just a group of like Fast and Furious fans. They're just basically these people hanging around in this parking lot and they're racing cars and racing trucks at this um, this uh, Well, you're not just you know when you say trucks, they're not like eighty wheelers, are they? They're like those little sort of the, country the, yokel delivery trucks that we see so many times in you know they're 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 they're, they're, they're location no, but at the same time trucks, they've got like their girlfriends they go like fast. strapped to the roof like they're wing walking, as <laughs> so they just like they just career around this like little donut track yeah. that they've made for them, and apparently this is like the height of entertainment for these kids. Yeah, <laughs> again. Until one this, of them falls this off. is the first time someone falls <laughs> on the top of the truck. And I have to say, that it looks like it really hurts. <laughs> I tell you, though, the glass that their windscreens are made of is really, really shattery. Isn't it? Because the cow falls in back first. So, She's yeah, this is basically where Wa chooses to, to hang around. And. He gets uh, dra- goes drawn in to count this uh, raid on a, a jewelry store, and right, I don't know if you it's yourself, Stephen. This is just me, but I'm watching the the scene, and he's sitting outside the jewelry store, and I can't help but think, God, the shot looks like shot for shot the same as Baby Driver. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. So we've been from a Fast and Furious right to. If Edgar Wright has not seen this this scene, this film, I'll be shocked. I mean, he would have seen it. He's a he's a cinephile, isn't he? He'll be fully aware of this. But yeah, if this this segment of it is not an inspiration for Baby and, Driver, um, then I don't know what is. I was really surprised. I had no idea that I was. I was. I was. I was, I was, I was scary how that, that it, shot it's looks. Funny, so we watched this and separately. I have to say, as a you know, this super hot like getaway driver. He sure loses his uh, wad pretty quick. It's all like he sees two cops going for coffee and directly in front of him, and suddenly he just like freaks out and starts ramming the car into this police car and engaging like this this high speed chase while his fellow crooks are in in there carrying out this amazing sort of like jewelry heist. <coughs> and and that jewelry heist that's bloody violent it is isn't violent it? but it also throws in the, my favourite trope of people being thrown through windows <laughs> I don't care if you're being like kicked through windows or you're being thrown through windows just like people going through windows is like up there with like um, emergency in the lab <laughs> so if you use, you know when you watch movies and like you've got those scientists like running down the yeah. hallway and like the sirens blurring I love seeing that <laughs> so when things go wrong in labs and when people get thrown through windows it's it's like the ultimate sort of like badass sort of moment. It's like when you watch like um, 
oh, someone like Black Belt Jones, and he's doing the fight in the train cab, and he's just like basically knocking guys <laughs> like right center out for the train cab windows. You like it's you like to see a bit of sugar glass get shattered. But I was I, I, I was shocked, like the 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 violence in that in that scene. Like there's um the bank manager is being told to open the vault by this gang who yeah. basically it's it's because it's in Hong Kong like the 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 jewellery company obviously isn't on street level they've probably had to get the lift up haven't they five floors to get to this this office which which contains all this gold and jewellery and stuff like that so they they don't just bash his head against the safe they don't just shoot him in one leg they shoot him in two legs i mean he was looked to me like as soon as they came in he was willing to open it but it is a really <laughs> it's and, and i know what we are learning here is that the, sort of the the guy in charge of the raid is it becomes Lau's nemesis or Wadi's nemesis doesn't he but and 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 he's he's not playing games this guy I mean my word this is a I'm pretty certain no one in that office was going to stop them once they pointed a gun at them <laughs> but but no we, we had to it looks to... like he was trying to open the safe using the guy's head at one I know point. and it just like he throws him against. It. He's like, "Oh, I don't think that's gonna and work." And I'm, I'm thinking, a moment of romance so far has become a very bloody. You know, you've seen that girl fall through the glass window of the car, um, and come out looking like she's been in Suspiria or something, and then uh, yeah. and, and then we've had this. And I'm thinking, I just hope there is a time for a moment of romance because it's a, it's, it's a hell of a lot of violence so far, and and like you say, his his approach to Oh my god, there's a couple of policemen buying coffee and donuts. Oh no, coffee and egg sandwiches. Three of them. Three egg sandwiches yeah. for two blokes. Don't understand that line either. <laughs> but um, yeah, because he bashes up the car, bashes up the police car, the front of his car falls off, and he sort of drags them around the town a bit, doesn't he? While they, they're ready to yeah. come back to pick up the guys at the end. Uh, yeah, very weird. That's Oh, this in his little speedy oh, Nissan. Yeah. Well, all the cars in this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it sounds like it's made. It's like running on batteries. This thing does. It's like. <laughs> but somehow this thing, despite the fact he's rammed his engine in, like the front half of the car is falling off. This this car is still like the most effective getaway vehicle known to known to man. And you're fo- yeah, well until it's until it's not until it smashes into a truck. <laughs> Yeah, until he until he tries to turn it into a convertible, um, at which point we get introduced to uh, Jojo, who's obviously our our love interest here, played by Jacqueline Wood, and she's a rich heiress, and she's you know she's just innocent and nice hearted, and she gets caught up in this whole situation because uh, Wadi needs a hostage so he can escape and get to the meeting up point and. Initially, he tries to hide her um, in the car, and ultimately she pops up for whatever reason. Apparently, just the idea of staying low went over her head, and he he defends her from from the gang and offers to give her a ride home. And somehow, I don't again. This is why I don't understand. You've just been kidnapped by someone, and now you're suddenly madly in love with them. Andy Lowe or not, it makes no sense. Well, I was also a bit confused. So basically, yeah. So he hides her in the footwell and says, "Don't, don't get up." And then he goes out to meet up and basically get his bit of the take. Because we've got to remember, so there's this he he's been asked by his his triad leader, the guy in charge of his triad, to help out this other guys because they're 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 a different triad, but they're sort of 
that they're kind of important in the area. So, go just help him out. Do 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 me a favour, as your boss, help him out. And he goes to get his cut, which is because it's all been fenced. You noticed in in this time as well because they've, they've got cash now but and they don't give much but she, but she <laughs> i didn't realize that she pointed yeah, it out <laughs> but but then she, yeah, she looks up and you think my god you've just been through this. why would you do that but she's not the sharpest knife in the drawer is young jojo is she she might have a lot of money she might be very sweet but she makes a series of dumbass decisions throughout the whole film um but what I didn't understand was, because basically Wadi says, you know, don't worry, I'll deal with her. And I thought the tacit understanding was, because she's seen their faces, he's going to get rid of her. You know, kill her. Um, yeah. But he's, no, he decides to fall in like with her and love with her. And uh, yeah, the, the, the world's quickest um, Stockholm Syndrome starts to take on, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So, but uh, yeah, they embark on this unlike romance, and at which point I thought, well, we're watching the Hong Kong version of the town now. <clears throat> so we've gone from Baby Driver to the town. So, <laughs> thankfully, it doesn't. That's about where the similarities end here, and you can obviously enjoy this uh, film for what it is. But they embark on this rather unique relationship where he just, you know. Acts the the Andy Lau version of a bad boy. Yeah. Because, you know, Andy Lau can't really play bad boys that well. So we get the Andy Lau version where he basically takes her to uh, his little Fast and Furious club. And his idea of a hot first date is where he engages in a truck race with her strapped to the top of it. So the uh, truck race we saw at the beginning, he's now participating in. And it does actually look like Andy Lowe was doing a little truck driving, I have to say. So. Yeah, it's probably doing about 25 miles an hour, isn't it? Like... <laughs> <laughs> still, love the Hong Kong safety there, guys. Yeah. So, like, you're going to have uh, actors engage in truck racing with actresses to the top who, again, don't appear to be attached to anything. No, they're just she's just holding on, isn't she? Because it's like, there's like a yeah. framework where normally there'd be some kind of covering, some kind of, some, sort of, I don't know, tarpaulin or something, wouldn't there? And they kind of expose it, and they just sort of stand on the back gate, tailgate, and, and hold on and go, woo! And, yeah. I, I don't know. I, was, I, I wasn't exactly sure why they had to be on there. Because it wouldn't, because when they're getting ready to race, he's like, "Oh, you can leave. You can leave. You don't have to do this." And I was like, "Well, what's the point of them even being on there if it's not important to this race?" I, I, I didn't get it at so. all. They've got these super bikes, right? Why are they just having bike races? Uh, why are they messing around with these delivery trucks? <laughs> <laughs> it's worse than um. Oh, what's it that um, like Shimu. In uh, on the Dreamcast, where you oh, yeah. you had um, <laughs> you forklift truck forklift races. Truck, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you're not really. You just meant so... you meant to have the job as a forklift truck driver, aren't you? But yeah, yeah. It's 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 incredibly mundane compared to that high octane opening where those bikes are going up and down these mysteriously empty roads. I guess in the new territory somewhere or something like that. Where they yeah, where they just riding around in delivery trucks. Coming next, sort of C5 Speedway or something, I don't know. <laughs> so, while this is all going on, the cops are obviously trying to pin a case on Wadi. At the same time, the evil triad member, who, let's not forget, is called Trumpet. 
That's right, trumpet. Yeah, well, you can tell because that's 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 the evil member of the of the brass section of the orchestra, isn't it? The trumpet. <laughs> I want to know how he got the name of, of trumpet. I mean, it's when we have these like films come over. It's like when Cherry and Fat's character in Hardball is called Tequila, mm. and you wonder if something's like lost in translation. But yes. No, that's exactly what they went with. Yeah, I I, I don't think Chinese nicknames always follow very well, other than Fatty. It's always there's always a fatty, but yeah, you, sometimes you just think what, <laughs> and but yeah, but he's a he's an asshole. I mean, he's a because Andy Lau's obviously career triad, isn't he? I mean, we, there's a sob story about having no family and blah 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 and all that. But this this guy, but he doesn't seem to do many crimes really. That in all these triad films, the amount of criming that goes on. <laughs> Is very limited. I remember that in election as well. That the actual amount of crime that's happening here is—it's mostly mostly just extortion, isn't it? It's just um, it's it's just um, just protection rackets, as far as I can see. Um, whereas this guy's doing armed robberies and death and yeah, it's he's he's, he's a nasty piece of work, and he looks it as well. I don't. I don't like trumpet. So, yeah. So frequently, throughout the time, trumpet will appear with his two henchmen, because apparently he's having a budget <laughs> crisis. He can only afford two. Um, and he, he, whenever you need an action scene, it seems that trumpet just randomly happens to be driving Ooh. past wherever. There's, there's never like any sort of like you never have like any cutaways to like trumpet like with his little gang and like going oh we're gonna we're gonna go and carry out this attack and on uh, Wadi and we're gonna ambush him at this point it just seems to be these random encounters that they just bump into each other constantly including the most and I, I we're jumping ahead a bit now but at one point Wadi goes off to Macau to recuperate from some beating he's taken. And Jojo follows him. And then Trumpet just turns up whilst they're having a firework party and says, you better get back. <laughs> There's some shit going down in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Why just turn up to say that? Have you gone all that way? Kill him there. I don't know. Weird. So, and I mean, we also have to remember as well. I mean, obviously, you said already that Wadi has no no family. His mother is said to have thrown herself off its roof. So he's got these three adopted aunts that he basically stays with. Um, he's also got a, a grandfatherly figure who uh, shows up in Macau. Just these random people who just who turn up whenever they need like some humanizing moment for him and to give uh, give Jojo someone to interact and, and with. And his best buddy. Oh yeah, let's not forget his best Bobby Rumbo. <laughs> so Rumbo's basically um, I, first off, it was a homeless person, but apparently he's just the the triad car cleaner. <coughs> he, well, that's yeah, it's poor job. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> so he hangs out. He hangs out on the street, and at the same time, being um, harassed by what appears to be the Hong Kong uh, status quo tribute band. <laughs> <laughs> who have decided to move in on 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 their turf and are basically um, harassing Rumbo all the time, and they go, you know, they go and do horrible things like they knock his water over and and uh, push him around a bit. 
yeah, like real triad stuff. <laughs> Again, I refer the honourable gentleman to my previous statement on the state of crime in Hong Kong in this film. <laughs> it's um, so this film's like what? He just walks this really bizarre line where you have these like intense action sequences, and at the same time you've got these sort of like cutesy romance sequences. Like we go to Macau and. Wadi's like obviously working for his his grandfather who runs like I think it's a pillow shop or something something like that yeah it's 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 some and, kind of, of of fabric place isn't it yeah and now uh, we have that wonderful scene where he's they're, they're making pillows and Jojo's so ecstatically knocking around the stuffing that uh, Wadi gets covered in it like a discount snow. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's just... and uh, they also go and do fun things like paragliding and yeah, which <laughs> just randomly because it seems that they had a paraglider lying around. Yeah. And they thought, oh, we can work this into the film. Yeah, uh, do you notice like when she she goes to Macau on the hydrofoil and they come back, they make sure they're in the first class to show how rich she is. <laughs> we don't. I don't know. I don't think. I don't remember Andy, how Andy Lau got there. He probably swam or went on a pedalo or something. <laughs> it's just not terribly clear to me. But yeah, it's it's subtle as a tin of spam, isn't it? The the whole the whole thing, and it's just gloriously put together with whatever's available. It is. It is a film of its time. I think is is the best I can say. But it's so glorious for for that fact alone. Yeah. It's the sort of style of Hong Kong filmmaker we don't get anymore, uh, because obviously with Hong Kong filmmaking now it's sort of moved on to more sort of CGI, big budget sort of extravaganzas, and this is so it, it's so humble in its and and it's when we we talked about um Choi Hart films, you know, like uh, Once Upon a Time in China too, where they sort of made up scenes on the day. And 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 I yeah. felt I got that feel here, like the paragliding scene. Clearly, someone someone <laughs> that morning bumped into somebody who had a paragliding set up and said, "Oh, let's just do that. Let's spend the whole day filming this for <laughs> ten seconds of of film." And is that you know why did they they didn't have to go to Macau? There must have been a reason. They decided to up sticks and go to Macau for well, the day. They... They need a reason to get those high quality pillars. Yeah, I guess so. But the, that, so that you... this 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 film has <laughs> it has both the soft focus look of films of its age, yeah. and it's got you know it's got some really photogenic stars and and the action is you know that's I'm joking aside some of the action this is pretty fucking good right and oh the action I, <laughs> there's so many like since the action I was like. Oh, Stephen's totally going to love this because you obviously being a Yakuza. Yeah, it, as in Yakuza, the video yeah. games, not the criminal organisation. Yeah, no, it's you know, but it's got that guerrilla style to just. And today we're going to do this, and we're just going to make this work. We're just—it's not like a Korean, you know, like we have those Korean films where they sort of change genre halfway through. It's not like that. Yeah. It's like it could change genre of shot by shot. This film could, and they've clearly got some idea what they want to do. So it's not completely made up, but it, they'll just fill it full of, of stuff. And they, you know, they have this film. You know, got Andy Lau. He's a he's a pretty looking, you know, bad but good guy. You know, and and they've got the attractive actress from from Taiwan, and and then and then there's a, and then we'll have a Tat who will just be, 
a complete comical figure until the very end when he becomes very tragic. But, you know, the, it's, just, it's just thrown together. Let's just see what sticks. And somehow, in this film, it all kind of works. But I bet if they just did it again and started a day later and different things didn't happen at the right time, it would have been a, a true unwatchable mess. And that's something I love about this era of, of Hong Kong cinema is that it's just it just feels off the cuff. It can't be because you couldn't put anything together. There's got to be more structure to it than appears, but it just it just feels a bit gloriously random. Yeah, there's so many elements of like those early Wong Kar Wai sort of movies. You know, things like uh, As Tears Go By and Chungking Express as well. Um, it feels very sort of similar, especially in the way the city's shot. It's not as obviously claustro- as claustrophobic because we're obviously more out in the street. And certainly when we get to the the big ending sort of sequence and um, where he goes from from their sort of spontaneous wedding to go and help his friend ambush these uh, thugs that have been harassing him. And we obviously have uh, like Jojo running down the the highway in her wedding dress. And it seems apparently she's going to run, run halfway across the city in this wedding dress uh, to chase after uh, Wadi, yeah. who's like gone off on his motorcycle. So that, that, that scene, just so, so, so basically... Because there's there's a there's a backstory where Jojo's family are basically going to move abroad, aren't they? <coughs> and, yeah. and then they move back to Canada. That's right. And and they're just sort of setting things. Up. I think she's going to go with them as well. But they they basically elope. And by elope, I mean he throws a dustbin through the window of a wedding dress shop. Luckily, picks up a wedding dress that fits her. Rides around on his bike, and that scene with her in a wedding dress on the back of his bike is is the classic scene of this film, which is which is replicated and echoed in in about twenty other films in the next ten years. It's uh, you know, it's it's the moment while terrible terrible canto pop is played at far too loud a level. Um, uh, I, I can't, I don't know who who's singing it, it'll, but it'll be a big hit of the day. Um, and if you've never heard canto pop music, it's Oh, it's an acquired taste. Um, and then it's pretty much just the end of any movie. Yeah, nineties. Uh, but 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 this happens all the way through. There's the, 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 there's montages and canto pop and slow motion all the way through this. It, it, normally we're used to it. We're used to Jackie Chan singing at the end or something, aren't we? <clears throat> this is all the way through. And then they get outside. I want to say outside a church, but it turns out. That Andy Lau is not as fit as he might be making out. <laughs> he basically starts to hemorrhage, secretly disappears on his bike. Is it on his bike or in a car? It's on his bike, manages to get away yeah, it's on his bike. while she's having a little prayer on the steps. So they've never got married. They've stolen a wedding dress and stood outside a, outside a church. And then he silently goes off on his superbike to go and have his, have his final battle. She turns around because she's not, again, another example she is not the sharpest knife in the drawer and and decides to run after him even though she doesn't know where he's gone barefoot in a wedding dress it's i i get i get it but what where is she gonna go what is she following the, the moment when she just takes her heels off yeah. like part way through this run is like oh yeah that's gonna make all the difference here you just like that, that, totally that was that was the problem wasn't it? the heels were slowing you down <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, unless she was like Wonder Woman or something. No, it's just not going to happen. But yeah, and it's it's kind of sad and tragic because she's kind of you know it's the world's most rubbish elope, isn't it? Really, um, because it only lasts about forty minutes. About that, yeah, yeah. Because then, um, because then we have the tragic ending, and in a way, I kind of respect this film for that. It's not a film with a happy ending, you know. Jojo doesn't eventually create any kind of redemption for Wadi. Um, he can't escape the life that he's in. He can't ever escape the mistake he made back in Baby Driver was not well was picking her up and keeping her and that never escapes him and that that's going to be the, the death of him however much he might love her or not um, he can't escape that and I kind of like that the kind of fatalistic approach to the film <laughs> um, that it wasn't a happy ever after and that you know he didn't go off to Canada and learn how to read and I don't know all those sort of things that, that would happen if it's a Korean film I can imagine you know, they'd have gone off somewhere and Make some more of those um, quality pillars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, the, the the airport confrontation um, where like the mother's like it's like oh you're going, you're going to Canada and then it's like the police are like turn up as well in this like ambush and Jojo launches into this frailing around sort of like emotional moment where these supposedly expensive pillars just like explode <laughs> into like fluff that seems to catch everyone off guard because she still keeps throwing all this fluff around it's like what are you doing <laughs> it's it, it's me wonder it's like did they create this problem like expected it to be a little more durable than it turned out to be and they thought oh just just go with it oh no idea it's nuts but charming right it's uh, oh, I had a lot of fun with this one. I was really surprised of how much I enjoyed it, especially just like judging the film off its title. Yeah. I was not expecting this to be like have so many, many of those things that I find absolutely charming from this era of, as I said, from Hong Kong action cinema. And it works, as I said, the, the romance element is a bit hokey, mm. uh, but the action elements are really, really good. I really enjoy the action bits, like, you know, when he's riding his bike around and. Um, when they're racing trucks and things like that, as random as these things are, it is um a lot of fun at the same time. So yeah, and and again, I cannot express how what a big deal this film is. Um, I'll be interested in what Kim might think of it or something like that. But I suspect this is this is a film that she would know about that it would be important. You know, as a Hong Kong. The people in Hong Kong would certainly think this is this is probably the most important film of 1990. Yeah, um, it, it was it was a big, huge local success. Um, made a superstar of Andy Lau, who is still a superstar. Um, made a big deal of of Jacqueline Wu, although her her star probably wasn't as um, a long lasting. But I think that's more down to her than anything else because she's Taiwanese, isn't she? So she's um, she's a bit of an outsider, but she, for for a few years she was a big deal, and she was in lots of films with a character called, as a character called Jojo. But, uh, but it turns out she's actually quite. She was in um, oh, she was in an Anne Hui film. So she wasn't just. Uh, I I wasn't particularly impressed with her in this film. I felt like 
which is just another one of those pretty pretty ladies that appears in these films and there's there's hundreds of them i didn't find her visually very unique or that there was any great personality there I was surprised that she turned out to be the the lead, um, the female lead, mm. because when she gets kidnapped, I thought she was just random extra. I didn't realize that she was going to be the the big love interest here. Yeah, she doesn't. She just doesn't. She doesn't so. have a lot of. And this is her first role, so let's be be somewhat fair. But I did. I didn't feel that she had a huge amount of screen presence, and I don't think the character did her any favors. So you're saying she's basically like Hong Kong's answer to Elizabeth Shue? <coughs> well. There might be more to that than you think, yes. <laughs> you know, she has this, all this potential to be a big star, but she's just missing that certain something. Yeah, there's, there's, there's screen presence, isn't there? There's charisma or there's quirkiness or something. You've got to have something. I don't think she's got a hook. And, you know, you compare her to someone like who's who's big at the time, like Anita Mui or, you, um, or Maggie Chung or... Um, yeah. Or, you know, our favourite Faye Wong in Chunking Express, yeah? Those people are are film stars, or they're stars at the very least. Um, this is not a performance, you know, in, in within the context of this film that I thought, oh, she was great in this. Andy Lau, yeah. Cause I don't even like Andy Lau. I think he looks like a weird little weasel. And I don't, I wouldn't trust him with my with my money. You know, he, I don't know. He just, look, he's always looked like a sort of a dodgy bank teller or something. You know, bank manager or something like that. That's that's on the on on some kind of weird crime thing that he's doing. But 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 I. <laughs> he never seems to get any older. Though. No, this is the the thing. He's um. Oh, he's like thinking in Parks and Rec. Oh, like Rob Lowe. Funny, I was talking about that last night. Yeah, I was talking about that today with my daughter. Actually, we um we worked out that that Rob Lowe is only two years younger than the guy that plays Jerry in Parks and Rec. And I wasn't even thinking of Rob Lowe, but Rob Lowe's uh, certainly yeah. Um, well, Rob Lowe just one. hasn't aged um, for forty years. He, there is there is <laughs> um, definitely a Dorian Gray there. But yes, that's what Andy Lau. Andy Lau is a bit like that. He doesn't seem to have aged very much. Who plays his buddy? Adam Scott. Adam Scott. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. So yeah, Andy Andy Lau is part of the same cloning program as as Andy <laughs> Scott and um, and Rob Lowe. Yeah, he is. He is because uh, if you look at those contemporaries of well. If you look at Jet Li and Mulan, you'd think, oh my god, people do age. Um, but he is much older. But Donnie Yen's another one. Donnie Yen's only recently started looking older. Um, but you look at Aaron Kwok, who's a, one of the sort of Andy Lau's real contemporaries, who actually is the star of Moment of Romance 2, apparently. He has aged a lot. <laughs> he just looks completely different. And Leon Lai, who's another one. They they all aged since the nineties, but Andy Lau because he the film he made A Simple Life, I think he directed it. I think he directed it, or he certainly produced it. You know where he is a much older guy. Yeah, he looks ten years older than he does here. Um, he was in what was that film? God of Gamblers, wasn't he? So God of Gamblers is contemporaneous with this. Okay, I think 
So yeah. Yeah, I would say so. So yeah, it's very same, same area, yeah, yeah, for sure. But he doesn't look much different today than he did then. And yes, there's obviously there's a painting somewhere. Oh, oh, that's getting older as as Andy Lau continues on. <laughs> um. <laughs> so I'm just just like just don't know what to fill that up with now. <laughs> um, anything else you want to talk about this one? No, I'm just I'm just gonna say I'm really glad I chose this. It was a bit of a punt. There was a risk that it was going to be the sort of film you're expecting it to be, and when we first started talking sort of before the show tonight, I was thinking, you know, you, you kept your powder quite dry, and I was thinking, oh, I don't think he liked it. But I actually, I, I'm not going to say it's now one of my favourites, and it's, oh my God, how have I missed this the last um, 30 years? Because it's, it, it, it's, it's charming, it's got loads of stuff, it's got, certainly got scenes in there that I think I'll remember forever. Um, for me, it's the bank. <laughs> it's, it's the poor. It's the it's the um, it's the it's the jewelry store robbery, rather than the uh, the romantic motorbike ride with a man in turn dying from internal bleeding. But um, yeah, I, I thought it was really good, and I can see why it has got. I could see back in 1990 how this must have been a, an amazing film for people to go and see at the cinema. So yeah, I'm quite glad I chose it actually. Fantastic. Uh, for viewing, what would you pair this one with? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't really think of anything because I think the easy answer would be we'll go and check out. Um, maybe go and check out the sequel. But for all accounts, I, I haven't seen it, and then I was doing some reading up on it, and it it's it's not so good. Um, if you want to see um, some more Benny Chan, because this was Benny Chan's first film. Um, he made some others. That the, there are others we could go for. I was thinking about New Police Story, but then I remembered I saw it not that long ago, and it's pretty stupid, really. <laughs> it's it's all a bit of its age. A lot of those that era Jackie Chan movies are. Yeah, but there's sure. all a bit. It's um, all a bit extreme sports, and it's got Daniel Wu in it. But I really, really, really like Invisible Target, um, which has got um, who's it got in it? It's got Nicholas Che. Um, Jackie's son, JC, and Sean Yu as um, it's a sort of a kind of a modern police thriller where these three guys uh, take down a, another triad, um, and it's two thousand and let's just look at two thousand seven. Um, yeah, it's it's a really smart, stylish Hong Kong police thriller action film. Um, Again, looks of its age, although it's 17 years later, it's got that sort of glossy blue light feel to it that a lot of films have got. But yeah, I'd, you know, it's to watch the progression of the director's skill, and you know, it's still it, it, it's another it's another police action thriller. I love that kind of crap. So yeah, I'd I'd go there. Visible Target probably. How about yourself, sir? Um, like you said, like it's hard to really sort of pair it because it's neither one nor the other, so it's hard to say to match it up to something. I mean, it, you could obviously look at something as equally random as the classic, which I think we certainly it certainly is one of our more f- most fun episodes we recorded of this show. And certainly, if you've got to spare three hours, it's uh, 
it it's a really sort of interesting blending of styles. I mean, certainly from the this era of filmmaking, though, I think um, Wonka Wise um, as Tears Go By is sort of the closest one I want to really put it to. And certainly like Chunking Express as well, to a way, I think it's certainly either of those two films, and I think that they were pretty much, they were the same movie, but they were cut in two of them, right? Uh, sorry, I, I'm Fallen Angels and Chunking Express. Oh, oh, it's, it's Fallen Angels. Yeah, so Fallen, so yeah, is it one? Ch- Chunking Express was meant to be a trilogy. So the first story in Fallen Angels is the effectively the third story from Chunking Express that never was, and then there's a second story in Fallen Angels, which is its own thing. That's a film we should look at one day. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that would be. I think, as I said, when as just go by, is the sort of one that would I would go to. Either that or Chungi Express, as I said, which is um, the, either those two two films, just purely because of them being a similar sort of era for the film the filmmaking. I think is both sort of uh, ones reasons I want to sort of pair it with and with this one. So, but no, this one's certainly an interesting blend. As I said, it's not quite an action movie. It's not quite. Um, or a triad thriller, and it's not quite a romance either. So, but there's obviously the two sequels as well, uh, Moment of Romance one, two and three, that you can uh, check out as well. Two, uh, Moment of Romance three, taking the unique stance of uh, bringing back Andy Lau, but this time it's casting World War Two. Yeah. So, so the the second film's uh, is I think it's also directed by Benny Chan, but it stars Aaron Kwok. What Jocelyn Wu is the lead, but they, they flip it. And the guy is from the rich family, and she's a poor prostitute from mainland China. And the final film is actually directed by Johnny Toe. Um, but yes, that's uh, Andy Lau and Jocelyn Wu again, but completely different people, completely different characters. Um, but we find that a lot. How many how many Hong Kong sequels seem to have nothing to do with the film that they're sequeled to? <laughs> they just like to take the name. It's all marketing, isn't it? I don't suspect anybody really cared. Definitely so. <laughs> Probably yeah. not at all, so. Cool. So, obviously, that was our show tonight. Thank you, as always, for listening. We hope you've enjoyed uh, listening as much as we enjoy bringing it to yourselves. And um, wherever you happen to be listening to us, please do hit the uh, like and subscribe button. Maybe leave a review as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can also follow us on Twitter, on Facebook and Instagram, and you can also check out our blog, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com, for our complete archive of episodes, as well as other fun pieces of writing as well, such as David Brooks' Movie Vault, The Dark Side of Asian Cinema, as well as our mixtape as well. Um, but for our next episode, it's my turn to pick again, and... I'm going to go with a film which was highlighted in uh, the Anime in America podcast that we were talking about a bit earlier in this episode. And this anime in particular was uh, created to make use of the mascot of Santori Whiskey, which, do you know what it is, Stephen? No. (laughs) He's a penguin. All right. Because, of course, penguins and whiskey go straight together. So we're going to be looking at the little movie that they brought out to uh, make, you know, use this mascot, and it's called A Penguin's Memories. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> that's what we're going to look at. And, and bizarrely, when I type into to, to Google a penguin, a penguin's memories is the first thing that comes up. So, 
Yes. It's I've That's all I'm going to say about this. I've never heard of it. I've I I Yeah, okay. Let's Okay, so this is um a, fil- a little anime movie. As I said, it was uh you was created uh because Santori Whiskey um mascot is this penguin and they wanted to do, you know, a feature to sort of tie in with the mascot and a penguin's memory is what they came up with, but I don't think it's what they were expecting. The same way that Disney didn't know what they expected when they commissioned Princess Mononoke. Oh my god. I'm just, so, yeah, okay. I should stop Googling because. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah, this is going to be a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming up on our next episode. But thank you as always for listening. And uh, thank you to my co host, Thanks as ever, mate. And uh, we will be back next time to talk about A Penguin's Memories. Good night. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.